The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. And this is New Zealand only has like three and a half million voters. Yeah, yeah. If you can meet 20 people a day yeah. and make a good impression on them, yeah. and they each tell Five, 10 people, yeah. which is legit, you know, which is reasonable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's then over time, and then those each of those 10 tells two. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Over yeah. time, you you know, people do go, oh, that John Key's actually quite a good dude. Yeah, I think he's actually a really good guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he came and he came to the AMP show and, you know, Pulled my ponytail. Dinner Kote Kato, welcome to Gone by Lunchtime. It's Wednesday, October the 4th. Advance voting is underway. 55,000 people voted on Monday. Excited people, probably. Or maybe just wanting to get it out of their lives forever. (laughs) Exciting campaign. The sun is shining across the country. Election day itself is 10 days away. Morena Ben Thomas. Morena. Kia ora, Annabelle Mather. Kia ora. And hello to you, Producer Sam. Hi. Well, last night was the press debate in Christchurch for a crowd of 2,000, except that it wasn't, of course, um, owing to a battle playing out in the body of Chris Hipkins between the novel coronavirus, COVID-19, and an army of immunoglobulins. We wish uh, Mr. Hipkins well, get well soon. Meanwhile, in other recent developments, the campaign has taken on an ugly, sometimes violent tone. We'll talk about that shortly. Winston Peters is roaming the land being very Winston Peters-y. We've I, had, I thought that was what you were talking about. What? With the ugly, violent oh, tone. No, don't you. Well, well, maybe. Well, maybe. Maybe. We will, we can... We uh, can that's a wrap. To, One more podcast in the that. can. What else has happened? We had National's fiscal plan, a whole bunch of policies all in a way as we, you know, with advanced voting underway, it doesn't seem like we've got any big bazooka uh, policies left. Um, we haven't had a poll since the last podcast, not a not a not a not a big poll. We've Is had there one some, today. Yeah, the there'll be one Bavarian? tonight, Wednesday night, and I think you sort of sense a little edginess uh, among certain people in the in the campaign. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays. We have had a few camp, uh, um, electorate polls, mm-hmm. though, so I think we'll come to that as well as we continue our journey through this episode of Gone by Lunchtime. Um, where should we begin? Well. The relentlessly positive campaign has arrived at last, courtesy of Chris Hipkins' rapid antigen tests. <laughs> and he is shacked up in an Auckland hotel probably until Friday in a critical week of the campaign. Um, 
oh, it seems like terrible luck. He seems like a pretty luckless, a luckless prime minister, luckless Labour leader. Apart from everything it's a luck, else, a luckless instead of a luxon. Uh, luck, luckless versus luxon, and the, mm. like apart from everything else, they have tried so hard to avoid talking about COVID. You yeah. know, <laughs> it's like it's like it's like one of the, you know it's like they've had nicotine patches for whenever you mention COVID. Must not mention COVID. The only time they mention COVID is as a reason that something couldn't be what it should be. And I've mentioned before that maybe they should have just chucked that out the window and started talking about COVID. Anyway, here they are now with Chris Hipkins doing Zoom press conferences, Zoom town halls, giving anyway everyone these terrible <laughs> lockdown flashbacks. <laughs> you know, it's not, you don't need to talk about it. There it is, right in front of you. It feels very COVID. I don't know. Is, it, is this all bad? COVID's making a little bit of a mini comeback, isn't it? Heaps of people I know have got COVID right now. I think the old relaxation of the five days, maybe, right. maybe a little, because you'd think coming in, you know, the the the, the weather's warmer, we're spending time outside. I, I wouldn't have thought that we were ripe for a sort of um, this is spike. The, but this is the first time we've returned to the epidemiological expertise <laughs> yeah. mm. for a while. Yeah, we were, um, you know, providing lots of expert advice some time ago. But um, yeah, no, look, ter- ter- terrible, um, terrible, both for the timing and for the association, um, obviously hampers, you know, what I think we were talking about earlier, have, have been very short campaign days from both teams mm, mm. That, that are really more stage-managed for TV and uh, and social than for um, than for actually getting out and sort of, you know, connecting with and touching voters. Um, yeah, look, yeah, it, it, is, it's, 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 it, just, it just seems it seems very unfortunate, uh, particularly as I think Labour and, and certainly Hipkins looked like he had a bit of a spring in his step. Mm. Um, that may have just been that he was getting sort of pseudo-ephedrine without us knowing, but... Uh, mojo, he, some mojo. Yeah, but he, you know, he certainly had a spring in his step, I think, after the debate last week mm. um, and was, you know, was, was, was making really lame jokes with the gallery, you know, saying I'm, I think Jason Walls asked, are you the king of zingers? And he said, I'm the king of gingers. Said, you know, enough for me to... I love a ginger joke. ...call a halt on the election campaign until we can figure out what's going on. But, you know, he they really did seem to have a bit of a spring in their step. Um, certainly, I think it maybe he should, fired up Maybe he base. should say, like last time, he should say, we've decided to put the election back by a month. Yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know... Because I feel a bit sorry for him anyway that Chris Hipkins was delivered. He made this joke at some event that he was, he found out that Jacinda Ardern was standing down and that the election date had been decided. <laughs> she, no, she announced the election date, then she announced, she announced she was gone. And he might have put it in a different time. Anyway, what do you think, Annabelle? Is there any silver lining out of this for Chris Hipkins? Is there a bit of a sympathy vibe, anything? I think there might be a little bit of a sympathy vibe. I've been reflecting back on the 2020 election which felt so much less divisive, less resentful. And I think that's because we were all still sort of wearing our team of five million T-shirts then. Mm. So I don't know if it's... I mean, obviously it's not great in terms of he had some wind beneath his wings after the last um, leaders debate, but it, it may not be such a bad thing to remind people that... COVID is out there without saying COVID is out there and without saying it that Labour actually did a pretty good job during COVID without having to make the case for it. Mm, yeah. I don't know. Well, he hasn't, they haven't though, have they? I mean, there is that, they, you know, they, 
Look, I'm not suggesting that it necessarily would have made a difference overall, but there are moments when Hipkins has started talking about the response to COVID, the mm. bits that they with we were world leading, and he seems again like he's kind of suddenly confident, uh, suddenly, suddenly channeling capability in the sort of anyway, whatever. I'm not going to bang on about that. I've banged on about before. Let's talk about the press debate. We had the um. The before before the, the, the debates, de- no, the, deba- the, the debate the debate that wasn't. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We had the remember we had that kind of infantile squabbling about who was the better debater. You're a better debater than me. I'm better debater than you. And now that's morphed into an infantile squabbling about who's turning up for a debate and who isn't. Wait, turning didn't up that for a start debate. off like you're a better debater than? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. there was like, no, you are a better debater. No, you are and a better debater. You're not showing up for the debate. No, you're not showing up for the debate. So this is, you know, it's this great meta, meta debate with the tenor of kind of 11-year-olds. This is the kind of debating I'm into. <laughs> <laughs> it is, I guess. I guess so low stakes apportionment yes. of moral culpability. <laughs> like, no, you are. The two things can be true at the same time, can't they? You can't pull out of a debate that hasn't been set down. So, you know, yeah. uh, Chris Flaxen. But... So Christopher Luxon hasn't pulled out of a debate, but he hasn't shown an enormous enthusiasm to make it happen uh, when there was, you know, efforts made to reschedule it because he's winning. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, D- Donald Trump isn't sort of sharing the stage with um, with anyone in the Republican primaries. He's he's happy to sort of... Ben uh, Thomas compares <laughs> Luxon to Trump. Just going to note that down for the online postcard. Um yeah, I mean, like you, you can sort of see both of their sides, right? Um, but you know, the reality is that Hipkins apparently couldn't make it. You, I think there was some sort of talk about, oh, maybe they could do it by Zoom, but you can't. You can't really have sort of one person in person and one person by Zoom. And then I think they now they've said that they had offered to put Grant Robertson up. Well. Okay, sure, but only if Nicola Willis gets to debate Chris Hipkins at the final TV One debate. I mean, like, let's. <laughs> I mean, what, what are we? Oh, are both the leaders just allowed to choose better debaters than themselves to put up, or what? Like, it's, I mean, it's like, it's like, like Roman emperors and their champions. You know, it's like you know um, Shannon Helbert and. Um, and Dan Bidois sending out Hillary and the campaign manager to fucking go at it at the bakery. Like, like an like online caboodle. Did you do those during Zoom? Or, you know, some, where they do quizzes and things, like some sort of online <laughs> event? Yeah. Yeah. Look, they should have. I, I, I can't. I don't understand. Hipkins, if Hipkins was fit to debate, mm. they could have. Robertson and Megan Woods could have rolled him in a Zorb onto the stage. Yep. And, and that just, suit, yeah, yeah, Pipe just was ventilated, piping outside the Christchurch Town Hall. I mean, that would have been an event, yeah. Or Grant Robertson wearing a GoPro and a mic, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know. But um, you know, any of these sort of lesser kind of you know kind of tweaks, no, I don't, I don't think really does it. And and yeah, you can see why Luxon sort of doesn't really want to mess around his schedule. They've already got, you know, they do have a debate in the sort of dying days of early voting um, on Thursday. Do you necessarily want two debates in one week? Probably not. Um, I mean, the other thing is that, you know, a relatively small target campaign being run by National. Luxon hasn't been, he hasn't been hiding. He's done plenty of interviews, but there's also plenty that he hasn't. He, for example, has not 
has declined to take part in an interview with Moana Maniapota for two hours with Moana. He's, he's declined to do, do an interview with Tover O'Brien for stuff. Oh, really? Okay. He's declined to do an interview with Mihirangai Forbes for Mata. Mm-hmm. And he's also declined so far to do an interview with the spin-off either for... He's coming what? into, he's coming into the spin-off by last time, isn't he? What? He's been invited on He's going to do the pod next week. Well, How he's welcome, very dear he Christopher Luxon, Mr Luxon, you're very welcome. The, the invitation remains open to come on this podcast. You can choose who you want to talk to. If you dare. Um, we could do one together. Us and Mihi. We could do it. Oh, that's he gets good. up at 5 a.m., right? You know, we could do it at Plenty 5 a.m., doing it at midnight. Surely there is some time in the day. If you're going to be Prime Minister, our audiences want to hear from you, don't they? Seriously, though, right? I mean, that is... That's right. And, you know, come num- on, number one on Apple or Apple Podcasts. Well, number one on all the... I mean, yeah. I mean this, you know, this podcast has 10,000 listeners now, which is not, not shabby. And um, I think they deserve to hear from the next Prime Minister, the likely next Prime Minister, don't they? What do you think, Sam? Yes. Okay, thank you. It's just a little <laughs> survey there of listeners, the only one so far to have heard it. Um, uh, you instead, Annabelle, had Tamapotaka on. Mm. Uh, I listened to that. It was a very interesting interview. Mm. How do you think he went? He's obviously in an interesting spot because as a, a former lawyer who's been involved in uh, various um, iwi and waitangi uh Discussions, cases. He's trying to balance some personal views with the party line, which everyone does. You know, I think that's 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 fine. That's not to have a go at him. You have to do that, right? That's, that's right. You know, Ingrid Leary, when asked about a capital gains well, tax, yeah. says, "You know, well, our leader has ruled it out, but that's just his opinion." <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, There's always this kind of balance. Well, the electorate like, might yeah. rule him out. I mean, we'll see it's the, the subtext there. But he also he was also I thought it was interesting on the point on co-governance where um, uh, he was asked about um, whether co-governance could work with public services, mm. and he said no. And then he was asked whether that was always his view, and he said, well, "Not always my view." He said, like, "I can't pick a day." My birthday. But 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 he sounded pretty plausible. He sounded pretty plausible in the interview. I think it's a difficult like they're, they're difficult questions for Tama because not only was he a lawyer, but he did like a masters of law at right. Columbia University. Yep. So he's like a you know he he's a person who understands the mana and the tapu of the courts and the tribunals and all of those things. So for him to be referring to the English version of the treaty when in international law it's always the the indigenous version that that's the that is referred to and you know to try and say that they did and they didn't cede sovereignty uh, Ngāpuhi when mm. the tribunal has found that they didn't is um, interesting to watch and yeah I think he did you know a reasonable job of um, of speaking to those issues um, but really the issues that we should have been speaking to his leader about what I thought was really interesting is that um, National haven't released any of their Māori development policy yet mm. and we're just days away from the election so how Māori is supposed to make an informed decision about where to put their vote when there's no, you know, nothing to refer to when it comes to Māori development, Māori economy, any of that stuff is kind of weird. The the co-governance question is interesting and and, and it was sort of addressed by, 
I think it was addressed slightly better by a couple of people in the um, Kopapa Māori debate that uh, TVNZ held last week. Mm. Um, I think it was it John JT um, Tamahiri actually said, "You know, my problem with co-governance is who invited the Pakeha in." You know, <laughs> like, and and I, and I think that that would have been, I think, a better way for um, Tamapotaka and also Luxon and National to actually frame this sort of thing, which is that you know, co-governance as a mechanism was actually, you know, it was a halfway house. It was d- d- designed that it's way. It's a compromise. But, yeah, it's a it's a compromise because you know. The you know the 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 Maunga in Auckland were you know some of the most visited spots in New Zealand by the public and by tourists and things like that. They're very special to the people of Auckland, and so the compromise that was reached between Tamaki Makoto Iwi and and the Crown was that you know there will be co governance between um, the council and and Iwi, and that would be a way of keeping them open to the public and and making sure that the council contributed to that public good. Um, but you know, in terms of things like social services, you know what most what most groups want is actually devolution, mm. and you know they do, you know now now full sort of you know however you conceptualise, and I think Tama um, touched on this in the debate. However you conceptualise sort of manamotohake or um, tinoranga tiratanga, you, you probably won't you know when you're using public funds, then there'll be sort of a hundred percent kind of self determination, right? Because there'll always be some sort of question about you know. How, when funding or how much funding or whatever, but the, the more autonomy you sort of give and the, and the less time you have for sort of, I think it was Nadimu Blair on the sort of uh, pundit panel afterwards said, you know, he, he and Natifato sort of saw co-governance as a bit of a distraction, you know, fighting over who gets to sit on a board with seven white guys, you know, <laughs> and, and, and what they were more interested in doing was sort of, you know, having control over social services themselves for their people. Um, and, and I think these are all sort of I, – I think that this is actually sort of the, the direction that the Nats are going in, um, but they – I don't think that they're articulating it well. Well, they're now talking about iwi, de, iwi delivery and health. And, well, they've been well, talking that, about that, it for a long that, time. Yeah, yeah, well, that was kind of interesting because when Mahi, you know, asked him about the issue of, of tax justice and, you mm. know um, – and um, inequity in the tax system, um, you know, he said that key drivers um, for Māori in terms of inequity were in education, mm. health, and what was the third one? Education, health, and I can't remember what the third one was. But then at the same time, you know, they want to close down Te Aka Whaiora. Mm-hmm. So it, it's interesting to watch how you resolve all of those inconsistencies. Let's talk about Winston Peters, if we may. Um, Are we allowed to? Have we, got, have we consulted our lawyers? Uh, we, <laughs> he's, he is just, you know, floating around the water at the moment. I, I, I was in a lift with him at, um, at News Hub. A lift or a crypt? The other day. It was bright. It was like, it felt like that, you know, and... In Pulp Fiction, where you open that briefcase and all the gold, the whole thing was just absolutely illuminated with the aura of Winston. He's walking on air. He's loving it. You know, he was, and so he was. You know, this is where we're at. Thanks to, 
thanks to National Party's strategic geniuses. That's right. Won't we'll, we'll share the up, stage with Christopher <laughs> Hipkins, but we'll literally like <laughs> vacate it for Winston Peters. Well, well, you know, I mean, he was the. I mean, admittedly, you could argue maybe they don't have a massive audience, but they certainly have an outsized influence. The two weekend political shows, News Hub Nation and Q and A, he was the lead interview on both of them. You know, which would have been sort of unimaginable. Sort of three or four months ago, he might have been given a you know a bit towards the end, but just mm. anyway, and um, especially this close to the election, and, too. and what maybe is the most important the most important weekend right mm. before advanced voting opens? Um, I mean, look, you you you've, you have to hand it to him. He he perf- he has perfected timing, you know, in terms of peaking at the right time mm. in a campaign. Mm. Um, well, he was helped, though, wasn't he? <laughs> well, no, I, I know. Yeah, it's uh, you know maybe it's one of those things where you make your own luck, you know. But yeah. it, it's just extraordinary that yeah, the the full final week um, before voting started, because you know you talk about you know there's policy announcements. Every policy announcement now, apart from. Um, uh, you know, I think there's there's two kinds. There are the ones that are just re-slicing and repackaging yes. previous announcements, which we've seen from uh, most parties. So it's just and, reiterating, and saying that, we're that, still going to do it, but we're going to do it quite but, quickly. But it's also sort of recombining and sort of saying, have you looked at it from this angle? Uh, you know, have you? Yeah. Ooh, what if you, if you put this light on it? You know, yeah, put an alliterative. <laughs> what if we, what if we announce it at a farm? Call it a you package. And then, uh, but but then, and then there are the ones you know that are obviously so sort of cobbled together and written on the back of a napkin, like um, like the you know we'll partner with Aldi to come to New Zealand one, and you know, um, but the yeah, and 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 so for that final week, you know, before advance voting starts, the stage was just handed to Winston. It was his week, and 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 what's so incredible about it is you know and you you, you never know because with the, the audience he's quoting those weekend shows if they did anything probably bumped his vote by a percent or something by but, a percentage point yeah yeah I mean, but, I mean that, what did you make but, of those but, interviews i've no, never seen I anything thought, like it i mean the I mean, they you, were magnificent you, <laughs> like the the bombast and the belligerence and it was just kind of it, it's it's almost it's it is kind of Someone playing a parody of Winston Peters almost at times. I, I've, I've, I've honestly never seen anything like the Q and A interview, where n- not only did he not seem to be able to explain his policy, it seemed he often didn't actually. There was no policy. Well, this is there the were literally just some cl- sub clauses right. on some a website. Yeah. Yeah. Some bullet points. Some some sentence fragments that had been somehow put on but a the, website. One of the fascinating you know? things I thought about that was that I think I think it was quite smart on Jack Tame's part, as he said, "Right, I want to talk about policy." Yeah, mm. you know, right at the top, um, the questions that Winston Peters is normally pretty agile and almost persuasive at doing the full Muldoonist counterpunch on, uh, will you work with yeah, X? Yeah. Is your bottom line Y? Will you rule out Z? In this, it's like, what is your policy? How much will it cost? Mm. And he came back with, how dare you go Philadelphia <laughs> lawyer on me and Cinderella-ize demonstrably sunshine. I like- you know, all this stuff. And it's like, he just literally asked you what your policy was and how much it would cost. I like, too, that Jack reminded him that he had been complaining in other interviews and debates that he wasn't getting uh, the opportunity uh. to discuss his own policy and was being able to comment on other people's. And then when Jack asks him... 
those very, very simple questions about his own policy. He literally has no answer. I mean, I mean, with the prison one, we went from... And his hands will, were shaking too. It's like, what is going on here? It went from it will be a 3,000-person prison and it will be built by the prisoners themselves <laughs> to <laughs> actually there's plenty of room and we'll just rejig it and they can probably go I and walk Spain. And so it won't cost it's, anything. It's, full, it's fully you will get Mexico to pay for it, isn't it? <laughs> with, with re- but this, this is the thing. Like, we're not even clear on whether it's uh, whether the new prison is a new prison or whether it's just reallocating yeah. the space. I mean, it's it, the brick it, by brick. We will relay our gag only yeah, prison. He, he, he couldn't explain <laughs> what 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 um, what paying for funding residential care meant. I like, like it. what the funding was. What I like it when he said that he he. Well, he didn't say that he didn't know what the numbers of gang prisoners were, but he said that that information was wasn't available. And and Jack said, "Yes, it is. It's two thousand and seven, two thousand seven hundred. And he's like, "It would be at least three thousand. Yeah, I, <laughs> actually, it three thousand because I talked to a prison guard. <laughs> is he talking about that former New Zealand first MP? What was that guy's name? Ravi? Was it? I know a prison guard. Um, yeah, and, and then and then I think the threat about becoming minister of broadcasting. Oh my god, sort of, that's so not even um, funny. I, like and, I, and I, I, I never in every area in terms of disorganisation, lack of knowledge about his own portfolios, in terms of the insults and the bombast and the evasiveness, and in terms of the personal threats on every level, like that was like a teenager, you know, getting on the, 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 the equaliser on their stereo. Everything was up to 10. I haven't seen any interview like that on and, any axis. And yet before. the people whom Winston Peters is courting here, oh, they gave him a good telling off, didn't he? He gave that upstart oh, a good yeah, telling yeah, off. The MSM yeah. constantly trying to interrupt the MSM. Here we go. At last, someone who's willing to give them a bit of what for. That's what they hear, right? So, oh, for sure, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. I mean, yeah. or, 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 or are we better than that? And there is some extent to which some people who might have been floating towards a New Zealand First as an insurance policy. I think both. I think both is true. I think there'll be some people who feel like emboldened and hard done by by that interview, and I think there'll be others who are perhaps sitting on the fence between New Zealand First and ACT, or maybe New Zealand First and Labour, who may not vote that way. Now, can I just acknowledge that back in 2020 when um, Jack did an interview with um, Winston Peters, I smack-talked him on this podcast. Who, Jack Tame or Winston Peters? I smack-talked Jack. Jack, Jack, James. Jack. James, good. Yeah, good. Um, and uh, and I take it all back, okay. and that was a masterclass in, in interviewing. And, and I thought he handled it with so much dignity and manna despite... Um, some of the comments getting made about you know him being lousy and a dirt merchant, and I, I think amateur hour is actually a really cool name for Q and A. Jack Tames, new podcast, Jack, and, and I think yeah, and, and, and we should note, you know, Jack has been Jack. I think has made a conscious decision to do very tough interviews with mm. the party leaders during the selection. Um, you know, Luxon, you know, very, pretty difficult interview with him. Um, 
Hipkins really got held to account for pretty much everything that had happened for the five years before he was prime minister and for the nine months where he was. Um, so, you know, there was certainly no sort of singling out of Winston. Um, okay. oh, look, no, enough. and hats off Come to on. Rebecca Wright okay, as good, well. Rebecca Wright. Well she did Rebecca a great Wright. job. And it's great to see fan show here. And it's great to see um, Pākehā journalists asking really um, tough questions about co-governance and te and all of that sort of stuff. And was it Tim Murphy who said, we saw something, We was it Mahi on Twitter, said we, we've seen something that some of us thought we would never see, which was... Winston play oh, yeah. the victim card <laughs> and say, how dare you as a Pākehā ask me, a Māori right. man. Been here thousands of years like, asking for special treatment. Enough of this woke identity <laughs> politics, crying ageism, pulling the race card. This is woke extremism from Winston Peters and it must stop. That's going to be the next policy announcement. It's the woke jail. The jail for the, for the wokeies or the woke of <laughs> so yeah. are you do you put in the woke jail or the gang jail? Or both actually. You know, the, 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 the woke branch of the mongrel dog. The woke, woke jail is gonna cost fifty million dollars in business plans and policy documents, but they'll be written by the inmates themselves. But also it'll be policy Also it'll be like uh, it'll ha- be solar powered and <laughs> just endless, endless, endless discourse. A um, couple of other important issues out there. We're at the point in the life cycle and the electoral cycle where we discuss whether or not there is potential for National Party and Green Party to come to an accommodation and a governing arrangement uh, under what's now colloquially described as a teal deal. Is, is that something that's on the cards, Ben? No. Annabelle? I'm going to go out on a limb and say no. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, there is some speculation as well surrounding the seat of Islam and whether or not the National Party, in an attempt to provide itself with some um, insurance from an electoral standpoint, might do a little bit of a nod and a wink or a cup of tea with Rafmanji uh, in the interests of bringing top into Parliament. Is that plausible, Ben? No. Annabelle? No. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the campaign a little bit. This is um, the question of whether or not how ugly it's become. We had Hanarafti Maipi Clark's home was invaded. That were merged over the weekend. Pretty horrific, pretty abhorrent. Then um, it had already been, there'd been, I think, uh, before that, Angela Roberts, the Labour candidate in Taranaki King Country, got sort of confronted and slapped on the cheeks by an angry punter. We had then uh, the National Party reveal that they had threats from gangs. Is this an ugly, is this a new, is this a troubling development, Ben? I mean, it's always, it is always hard to evaluate from, you know, individual sort of discussions. You know, there were, I think, remember back in 20, was it 2014? Hane Hardaweda's electorate office got shot at. Um, you know, and, yeah. and and particularly when things happen outside the major centres where there's a lot of journalists, you know, sometimes they almost sort of have this kind of dreamlike quality where you're like, did that actually sort of happen? It's true, there were a, lot of a, a bunch of electoral officers that got vandalised at the last election too. Yeah, so look, I, I, I think by and large, I think by and large it's the same, but I think it's, but certainly there are more crazies around than there, there have been in the past. I think that... 
you know, we see it as a bit of a truism now. Um, and I think, unfortunately, we just sort of have to accept that, um, you know, people on, you know, people have been radicalized, um, you know, by, by the sort of, by cooking their brains online, yeah. by, um, you know, particularly the sort of conspiracy theory sort of stuff. Um, you know, Karl Mokara, Mokarana is the sort of, you know, kind of the, the kind of comical manifestation of, of, you know, something that is a bit darker. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I don't think that the, the, well, I think, I think there's a couple of things. I think that the, the campaign has taken on in terms of say, you know, um, crown Maori relations and tatidity stuff. I think it's, it's kind of in, in that sense, thanks to Winston Peters and act it's, it's, become one of the sort of darker campaigns since mm. probably 2005, I'd say, probably the worst since then. So I think there is that sort of a level of, there is a sort of level of vitriol and kind of, I, I think, disrespect and division that um, we haven't seen for a long time. You know, and on the other hand, I think that there are, you know, more, uh, you know, disturbed individuals out there, you know, people who have really just sort of wound themselves up. Um in, into a state uh, where they are more likely to do kind of you know uh, things that you know would have been you know even more outliers you know a few years ago. Mm. I think Ben's right, and the difference between now and two thousand and five, of course, is the way that we use the internet and the the forums and the echo chambers that we're able to create. And it, you know, it's deeply troubling to think that a young person like Hannah is being exposed to this sort of you know, home invasion and and violence. And but what can what's deeply concerning also is the response to it that I've seen on on social media, where you have high profile people who are questioning her honesty, who are kind of implying that she deserves it and she's not telling the truth and she's going for the sympathy vote. And these are often people who, you know, present themselves as being very much concerned with women's rights and women's safety and all of that sort of stuff when it comes to, um, you know, trans issues. Um, And yet when a young person, a young wahine is feeling um, threatened in her home because she is a woman, because she is Māori, because she is young, there's like zero, um, uh, zero empathy and, you know, it's just a really disappointing campaign in that in that regard to mm. see the division, the misguided resentment. Um, you know, after being uh, after last election, where again I feel like there, you know there was a, a much greater sense of unity and empathy towards other New Zealanders. You know, the resentment being whipped up against Maori beneficiaries, all of that stuff is you know it's really disheartening. I mean, we'll probably come to talk about this in the weeks. To come, but it does the one week capture to come. some of the. Well, we we won't. We're not. We're going to keep going after the election, perhaps. Yeah. But in terms of accessing the campaign, there is something quite deflating, cynical, deleterious. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't feel as though we've <laughs> shown ourselves across the board as a magnificent country in this campaign. This ben. this campaign is it's really playing to our ugliest stuff. Um, uh, yeah, it's and I, I think it's a lot. I, we talked about this last week, but I, I do think that a lot of it is to do with the cost of living and people looking for someone 
to blame and, and express their anger and resentment towards. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like the worse people feel, the worse they behave. And it's so disappointing to see politicians weaponising mm. um, that against communities that are, are really vulnerable. Do you remember in Christchurch, um, Leanne Delzeal, the former Cabinet Minister and Labour MP, talked about 2005 as being the election where she first felt as though uh, the parties were actively talking about this is what we do for you individually rather than any grander vision for the country or for society or for communities or whatever. And uh, that does seem like that this time too, doesn't it? And I mean, you pointed What's out in it the for me, and she said it for you. Yeah, <laughs> the, she said it was the, the first time yeah. someone had ever come up to her yeah. and said, "What's in it yeah. for me?" And, and I actually sort of, when she said that, that kind of sp- twinged my memory. That, that was, I think, that was the first year that I was writing a column. I think for the NBR, two thousand five was two thousand five. Yeah. And I remember actually writing something about that because you know I think I was probably about twenty seven at the time or something. And prior to that every election had been sort of almost kind of like tough love. It was sort of like unemployment's at 8% or whatever, <laughs> you know. Right. We, we didn't <laughs> – there wasn't a surplus for the first 20 years of my life, you know. And it was all sort of basically like, you know, here's what you've got to do to knuckle down and, you know, we'll, you know, get, get, try and get us out of this mess. And 2005 was the first election that I could remember. I think it was about the third – third or fourth that I voted in, third maybe, fourth. Um, and it was the first one where there were things on offer. You know, there was um, interest-free student loans. Men, everyone I knew had massive student loans. And there was um, the $25 tax cut, which, of course, you know, mm. back in 2005, that would be sort of the equivalent of 40 bucks, mm. 45 bucks today. And and it was almost this kind of giddy feeling, <laughs> you know, when, when, I, when it felt like people were sort of vying for our votes. I was like, ah, oh. And... And, and and I think there's, there's sort of two things from that. The, the, the first is that I, I think it's, you know, I think what Annabelle's saying is completely right, um, that when, when economic growth starts to stall or when people feel they are individually going backwards, as has happened with inflation, you know, eroding people's real incomes, then people start to see society and the economy as a zero-sum game. You know, if I'm missing out, somebody else and somebody mm. else is getting mm. something. You know, that's all coming from the same source. They're getting something because I'm missing out, mm. and and that makes it particularly fertile ground for sort of race baiting. You know, saying, "Oh, co-governor, oh, special privileges. Where are those special yeah, yeah, privileges yeah. coming from? Yeah. They're coming from my." $10 a week eroded purchasing power. You know, it, mm. it doesn't make logical sense, right? Yeah. But that's that's how a lot of people start to see it. Um, the corollary of election being about you, me, is what are the other people getting? The envy is the other yeah, side Yeah, that. that's right. And Yeah, and- it's interesting. Sorry to interrupt you, Ben, but there's been so much talk about the politics of envy this election. <laughs> and actually yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. the reverse. <laughs> it's feeling envious and resentful towards like poor people or marginalised communities or Māori not the other way around. And, and I think that, you know, the two, the two lega- there's actually sort of twin legacies of 2005, but they've sort of, like the terrible final season of Lost, they've split into two timelines. <laughs> and, the, and the first is the kind of resentment, race-baiting uh, part of, you know, the 2005 election, and that's being played out with ACT and New Zealand First and, you know, Te Party Māori on the margins. And then that middle, you know, that sort of, the kind of um, 
low rent sort of venality of like what's in it for me is kind of being played out with Labour and National where over the past uh, 18 years or so that all of our elections since then have actually been by and large contested by the major parties in this incredibly narrow band where it's basically 20 buck tax cuts on national side versus a 20 or 30 dollar tax credit or maybe some childcare on Labour's side and and that's sort of it right you know Thomas Coughlin um said you know arguing over the leaders debate um national and uh, Labour seemed like sort of bickering parents who had to talk through a mediator and our elections since 2005 have almost been like, you know, divorced parents, you know, sort of, you know, offering you better pocket money than the other one. And, 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 and this, is, I, this is really the most dead behind the eyes election I can remember in terms of the lack of a bigger vision, but also the, the way that, you know, the, the politicians are saying their lines sort of perfunctorily as they always do. But this time it's so hard to believe any of them even mean it, you know. Oh, well, on that uh, cheery note, I did say we'd talk about the polls, so let's just quickly race through some of the electric polls which at least provide a little bit of theatre in uh, particular parts of the country. The first uh, that I wanted to mention was Auckland Central, which was over a week ago, but it is interesting in that it gives um, Chloe Swarbrick a lead, but only by two points. Mm. This is a Curia poll for taxpayers' union. Only by two points, 38 to 36, over Mahesh Muraladar, which is interesting. And I think uh, quite a few people had sort of thought, oh, Chloe will walk that because she's been so visible and um, generally appears to be well-liked within Auckland Central. So that is on, it seems. The the, 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 the swing is on. Um, pe- pe- people really did seem to kind of, kind of forget about the swing. Uh, in discussing electorate thing, in discussing Aww. electorates, you know, yeah. I mean, we, you know, we, we sort of, uh, I think Sue Maroney talked about this on RNZ this week, you know, where she said that, you know, the electorate vote is the party vote to a very large extent. Now, obviously, in different electorates, you have a different baseline, but the way that the swing happens, yeah. Yeah. you know, it means that even, you know, Chloe pulled only, off the only miracle ex- last time. You can't, you can't avoid that swing, no, <laughs> but, no, that's but right. you, can, you, can, you can limit it sometimes, can't you? The, the, yeah, that's right. But, but the idea that Chloe would be sort of, you know, dead set sort of, you know, um, embedded in Auckland Central yep. after her win yep. last time, well, that, that ignores that there was a massive swing to the left last time and there's a big swing back to, you know, national in particular this time. So, you know, she, she, I would say a poll like that will would probably rally, you know, the the, the Labour rump to kind of get behind her and mm-hmm. so she'll probably be safe. But, you know, it does show, you know, the strength of the kind of national forces at play. Yeah, I agree with Ben. Uh, um, I also agree with Ben. Uh, I also uh, agree with what he's about to tell me about Tamaki, where we had a poll last night released, which again showed a two-point lead, which again is within the margin of error, as it was for Auckland Central. And this time in Tamaki, the affluent East Auckland seat, where there's a battle on the right between Simon O'Connor of National, who's been challenged by Brooke Van Velden, the deputy leader of the ACT Party, uh, coming with a strong socially liberal line at the strongly social one of the most, probably the two or three most socially conservative national MPs. And that put O'Connor, Ben, two points ahead of Van Velden. That's on as well. That, yeah, that's really on. So that's not so much about any kind of national swing because, the you know, you're, you're talking about 
first of all, a, a very safe centre-right electorate. But I think National will win the party vote in that one. That's my prediction. Look <laughs> <laughs> at 150% of it. Um, but, yeah, and, and it's interesting to look at this. You, you sort of think, you know, will, will this uh, be a little bit like, um, you know, in the Wellington Central with that News Hub poll, which I think showed Tamitha Paul about 2% behind Ibrahim uh, Omar. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have thought that that would have probably given people confidence to kind of swing in behind her, and that would, you know, that would that would probably help her. I tend to think if the under, you know, the quote unquote underdog or the non incumbent or, or the minor party figure is is that close, I think a poll like that probably helps them. Mm. Um, yeah. And but but look, you know, really pitched battle. Um, you know, ACT had leaked some polling, I think, to or Matthew Hooden reported yep. that they had leaked polling They'd to a lot earlier that, numbers, yeah. that it was very close. Yeah. We've been hearing that out of ACT for some time. So Simon O'Connor might actually feel, actually, this is a pretty good result if it's still very close, you know, a week and a half out. Yeah. Uh, I've spoken to lefty ladies in that electorate who are like, I can't believe it, but I think I'm going to vote. voting for I'm going to vote, vote for Brooke just to get rid yeah. of Simon. And it's because of the way Simon's perceived by women who yeah. are concerned about Women's rights. Last one, uh, Hauraki Waikato, which is the seat held by Nanaya Mahuta. And there was a poll again out last night which had uh, Nanaya Mahuta on 36% and Hanarafti Maipi Clark, who we've spoken about before, the, is he 20, the 20 year old mm. Party Māori candidate, on 32. So there's four points in that. That's close. We've also discussed before how difficult it is to poll these seats. But Annabelle, is that on? And Nanaya is Nanaya is, is electorate only. She's not on the list. Uh, an absolutely remarkable result for Hannah. To, to be fair, I don't think anyone would have picked it. I think everyone thought Hannah would do really well. She's you know she's a mokopuna who is much loved all around the motu mm. um, and has a high profile and is and is well respected but I don't think anyone thought that it would that the race would be this tight and you know credit to her because Nanaya's faced some incredible adversaries in the past like Rahui Papa who's like you know a very esteemed um, Tainui leader so for Hannah to get so close I think Nanaya will be genuinely worried and she looked like she was worried in the in the debate last night right. I have to say and yeah like you say um um, if if she doesn't win the seat, she's out because she, you know, she hasn't put her name forward for the list. She wants the mandate from her people, and just a remarkable result. It's alive in quite a few of the party seats, isn't it? Mm. A, I can't remember when so many of them might might be in play. Um, so yeah, mm, uh, the, I, I think so. Uh, we've we've seen this before though with the polling with the Māori seats, bec- and and whether it's not in they, this, not not in Hauraki Waikato. No, not in, mm, no, not in Hauraki, that, That's no, what's so no, shocking about no, it. No, that, that, that's true. <laughs> but I, I think you know, I mean, how long have we been predicting that Te Tai Haoru is going to go <laughs> go yeah, back Māori? Yeah. Um, so. Uh, you know, yeah, difficult to say. I mean, Ikaro Rafferty looking very good for uh, Labour, interestingly yeah. enough. I'm not surprised by that. No, though. no, not, neither. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, look, it would be an incredible achievement if they could knock off Nanaya. I mean, front bench minister, minister of foreign affairs, you know, one of the, it's got to be one of the longest serving MPs in the House now. She's the longest serving woman in the, in the yeah. House, 96, she went in. Well, uh, yeah, and so... 
yeah, I mean, that would be an incredible achievement. All right. Well, uh, it's good to have some interesting electorate battles to keep an eye on as we uh, crawl our way towards Election Day. Ten days to go. Thank you, Annabelle. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, spin-off members, especially back soon. Kia ora e te iwi, te Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.